grow. We're excited to be with you for episode eight of season two. Uh, today we're uh, circling back to a conversation we had earlier that we said we'd come back to um, and talking about inequity and what inequity looks like specifically in public schools in America today. So Michael and I have um, been hearing from listeners that they enjoy listening to our show and we're so excited that people actually listen. You must know we do this because we like to talk about things to each other and with each other. Um, and you never know if folks are actually getting something from what, what you're sharing. And it's so great for us to hear that people are enjoying the podcast. Um, but Michael, you know, I want to talk some about this whole issue of equity in our public schools. There was a report titled um, the For Each and Every Child. It was published by the Equity and Excellence Commission in 2000 and I believe 14 or 13. And in that report for each and every child, there's an excerpt that reads this way. It says, our education system legally desegregated more than a half century ago is ever more segregated by wealth and income and often again by race. 10 million students in America's poorest communities and millions more African-American, Latino, Asian-American, Pacific Islander, American Indian, and Alaska Native students who are not poor are having their lives unjustly and irredeemably blighted by a system that co-signs them to the lowest performing teachers, the most rundown facilities, and academic expectations and opportunities considerably lower than what we expect of other students. These vestiges of segregation, discrimination, and inequality are unfinished business for our nation. Mike, would you say that's some unfinished business that we've got to tackle? Oh, certainly, certainly. And uh, to go along with that, I'm looking at an article that was published by NPR earlier this year, and the the title is, Life Expectancy Can Vary by 20 Years Depending on Where You Live. And they don't mean where you live, which country, what part of the world. They mean your zip code inside of America. There's there's vast differences in life expectancy. So I think that plays into what we're talking about because in education, we have become so ultra-focused on standardized test scores, which, by the way, we don't even know if that's a true measure of, of academic success, but we are so focused on test scores, we forgot to have deep discussions about the deep economic inequalities that impact so many of our students, so many of our neighborhoods, so many of our schools. You know, when I think about it this way, it really just kind of blows my mind. You know, we, we are trying to come up with all these strategies in education, and not to our fault, I don't think. I think it's, it's what's put on us. But we try to come up with all these great strategies, all these things we're going to do in our school to help get all of our kids to learn. But we're not, we're not addressing the root cause, and often that is inequality, that's poverty, that's uh, health issues uh, from neighborhood to neighborhood. So, Latoya, it really it pains me, to be honest, when we're trying to do all this to raise test scores, but we're not addressing the real problem. That's, you know, that's, Michael, something that's very um, near and dear to my heart as well. Uh, we've, we've failed to execute or to exhibit or to demonstrate the internal... Uh, fortitude, the moral courage to address inequity. You know, a few years back when um, the Flint, Michigan uh, epidemic of lead-filled water um, took place, I think we were working together as co-principals then, I began to think very deeply about what the implications of lead poisoning were on the developing brains of young bodies and young children. And I thought about how 
when those children entered into school or as they developed difficulties with their learning, most of the policies in place would be about the sanctioning and labeling and sorting of their teachers. And it would be about whether or not their school was a failure. And I found it very disturbing that we'd have teachers who would internalize their professional worth based on a standardized test score when we had officials who knew that the water was contaminated with lead and really didn't necessarily do a whole lot about it and how that was going to have a lasting impact on those children's lives. Um, it, it's When you think about it that way, you have to ask yourself, why is it that we seem to lack the moral courage to address inequity? That is, and that's, that's, that's just heartbreaking, uh, to be honest. You know, Dr. Dixon, when we were working together, one of our colleagues sent us a TED Talk. Do you remember the TED Talk that we watched by Dr. Nadine Harris on Adverse Childhood Experiences? Absolutely. So, listeners, if you have not seen that, it is uh, Dr. Nadine Harris. It's a TED Talk on Adverse Childhood Experiences, and I think that's a great short video. It's probably about 10 minutes. I don't remember exactly, maybe 15 and it talks about the experiences that, that many, many, many people go through. And she used an analogy in there. Um, and I don't, it, something about when, you know, way back in the day, uh, when people were uh, in the wild and there was a bear coming after them, there's a really great stress response in that situation. Your, car, your cortisol gets increased and you're ready to fight or flight because it's a life or death situation. And she talks about, well, what is, what, you know, how does that impact a human when that bear comes home every night? Uh, meaning when they have repeated instances that increase their stress levels, their cortisol levels, cortisol levels that impacts their biological makeup, um, that's really hard to have them come to school the next day and say, hey, we're going to do a reading strategy and we're going to, you know, make you learn how to read. Well, maybe, but we're not, we're not addressing the root problem. Uh, absolutely. You know, Mike, Stanford has a great center for education policy analysis, and on their website, they've got some pretty interesting uh, fast stats. One of those being that they found that children in school districts with the highest concentrations of poverty score an average of more than four grade levels below children in wealthy school districts. The second fast stat, the proficiency gap between the poor and the rich is nearly twice as large as that between black and white children. And uh, they also noted um, that support and professional development to retain great teachers is lacking in some of our more challenging communities. Um, and, and one of the stats uh, under their Did You Know section notes, 17% of new teachers quit within the first five years, but that rate is 50% higher at schools in low-income communities. So that would mean 67% of new teachers in low-income communities quit within the first five years. What can we do about that? Well, one thing we can do is start talking about it more and get uh, higher-level policymakers talking about this. And uh, I think one thing we've done a poor job of in education is communicating this and talking about how this impacts. And, and, and these circumstances are never an excuse. We're not saying that. We know because we lived it. Uh, all children can learn, and all children can learn at high levels. But when you have all of these issues uh, kind of stacked against you, it makes it really difficult. And we know in our last school that we worked together in, uh, those stats about teachers leaving do not surprise me. Those are some tough, tough places to work. Also, some of the most fulfilling places where you can really make an impact. 
But we need to do a better job of communicating this uh, to the general public that it kind of feels like as educators we're responsible for fixing everything, but we don't even have control over the things that matter the most. Yeah, and at some point we've got to decide that this is collective responsibility. Um, it's, it's a collective effort, and it, it's got to be collective accountability. So we can't make uh, something like schooling and education a collective responsibility, but when the accountability piece shows up, we isolate that solely to those folks who are standing and working on the internal side of the schools and the school districts. It, it, it matters to all of us, and at some point I think we're going to be forced into a situation to address this inequity because you know Mike there's a lot of stats out there but this one particular piece from some uh, data that was published in June January of 2015 from the Southern Education Foundation for the first time in at least 50 years a majority of public school students across the United States are considered low-income so at some point we're gonna have to deal with these inequities in order to really address and, and make some positive gains with our student body this is who our students are Right, listen to this. I'm taking this quote from her. We're, we're really re referencing some articles today, that's what. Uh, but listen to this. It says, if you take children who come to school from families with low literacy, who are not read to at home, who have poor health, all these social and economic problems, and just say that you're going to test them and have high expectations and their achievement will go up, it just doesn't work. It's failure. You know, we can have high expectations all day, but... That, that means nothing. That's, yeah, testing kids and having expectations is certainly not going to make them uh, achieve academically like we want them to. I, I totally agree. I mean, don't get me wrong. There is a lot of science behind um, the level of expectation that a teacher has for his or her students. However, expectations alone don't produce achievement. We know that. We know that the work that we're being asked to do is too complex to boil it down to one absolute. Um, I read somewhere the other day, and I thought I totally disagree with that. I can't remember where. Well, where I saw someone tweeted out that um, – Poverty is a result of low expectations, and, and low achievement is a result of low... Well, I, I beg to differ. Uh, certainly, that might be a factor, but that's usually not the only factor. I mean, there are things like access to quality health care, access to quality housing. I mean, Michael, if you can think back to some of your experiences as a principal, I certainly can think back some, to some of mine and some we had together. You know, it's the type of things that that folks don't think about that Jonathan Kozel wrote about in one of his books, Savage Inequalities. It's about where landfills are usually built in our poorest neighborhoods and the health impact they have on children, chronic asthma. Um, chronic conditions, chronic asthma conditions are happen at a much higher rate in poor neighborhoods than they do in wealthier neighborhoods, middle or high income neighborhoods. And there's a reason for that. I think we're going to all have to accept responsibility to tackle inequity and address it because certainly ignoring it and trying to uh, address symptoms of it but yet not attacking the root cause won't result in greater achievement for our students. Certainly, and if you are new to thinking about this, do some research on uh, government housing policies and uh, you will be uh, probably shocked at some of the things that you may find on um, how a lot of it's kind of, you know, it's set up that way where we create neighborhoods that are purposefully um, segregated, that are purposefully segregated by race, by income class. Do some research on inequity in housing policy discrimination, and I think you'll be amazed. 
And, you know, there's still a lot of unknowns out there, Mike, when it comes to school leadership, school improvement, and, and, and uh, improving the academic achievement of children. But here's one that we know. We know that integration and that making sure we don't have high concentrations of poverty in any one school lead to greater achievement for our poorest students. That's something we know. When we start doing something with what we know, we'll be ready, uh, I think, to execute that courage that I talked about. Folks, we're so glad you're listening to our podcast, Leadership with LaToya. We're excited that we'll be releasing today the November issue of the e-magazine, Leadership with LaToya. Please take a look at it. Let us know what you think. Tweet it, like it, put it on your Facebook page. Until next time, be you, be true, be a hope builder. This is Leadership with LaToya for leaders on the ground.